1: Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, recorded live at ETI Tooltech 2022, we're joined by Lee Locklear, CEO at Cutting Edge Automotive Solutions, a tool supplier out of Fairhope, Alabama. This conversation is filled with inside baseball and behind-the-scenes discussions about some of the most popular brands in the industry today. Before we get started, make sure you have us set to automatically download the latest episode, and make sure you check us out on YouTube. And now... Here we go. Do you want to make sure we're not clipping?
0: Yeah, I'll definitely make sure we're not clipping. Give me one second. We're not clipping because I'm. It, it doesn't really matter because I'm not live right now anyway. So, well, yeah. But I'm saying, did you did you have some compression? How'd you, how'd you fix it for the? I can see it right here. Oh, in other okay. words, I can see it internally for that mic, and that's what's wrong. Is that if I if we go to record and I don't pay attention to this? In other words, it, every time you open that
2: particular driver, yeah, it resets back to zero. Uh, that stuff is so finicky. Every it time is. we do a podcast. Bill right. is pissed because right. he's like something stopped working. <laughs> right, exactly. every time.
0: And and it, this dude, he's like, "There's a buzz. I can't handle it. There's a buzz. There's a noise. There's a I I do the editing, so
2: so Bill does too. Yeah. So yeah, he. It's like I want consistent audio. I want
1: this. Yeah. I want right. And every well, time he goes can, in, something's different. You can go in and jack with a lot of it, but what you can't it's difficult to to remove noises, buzz, hissing, clicks. Yep. Opening up tic tac doodads. Yeah,
0: I'm the world's worst. That's the He makes me nervous after the first couple of days.
2: So keep the lifesavers in my pocket. Do not rattle the, the cellophane as, as we're doing this. Uh, it was it was a little
1: uh, tin of what were they? What were they called? It was Altoids. Like they were like shirts or whatever. Yeah. But it was the little tin. So yeah, you know somebody would be talking it's like blah blah blah. Very
2: high tenny noise. Click.
1: <laughs> Click. And then he got to where he was and doing then, it. Yeah, well, I you know you see one, you are like, well, one well, I'll take and one. <laughs> the the problem is these mics. So when, when I when I pull the audio, it's it's all the channels, plus all all four in one in one line, and then the individual microphones. And I can, I can completely mute these two mics, but your mic will pick up something we're doing on this. End, yeah. And you're in the middle of talking. I can't delete that. And there's no way for me to noise gate that or whatever. It'll cut off a portion of your voice or like one of these. And it sounds like that's what it sounds like if you try to cut that off with a noise gate. So then like becomes, you're breathing with a stutter.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it, that's what it sounds
1: like if you try to manipulate it too much we just did a podcast with Sunil, and i ran too many i was trying to get the the, the sound just right and th- these are like they pick up everything so yep. if you can i'll hear the buzz from the lights i could hear my phone yeah. i just moved it and i could yep. hear it yeah and, and so so i i went back to to sanil's episode and i was just messing with it messing with it messing with it and then i'm like screw it i'm just gonna finish it Send it through through leveling, uh, loudness normalization, that is, and then I'm just gonna put it out. And I went back and listened to it, and I'm like, man, that sounds like it sounds it sounds processed. It sounds like a computer yeah. like, has processed this thing too many times. It doesn't sound natural, right. smooth. It, it just oh, that irks me. And at that point, I'd already released it. I already like put it on the Patreon. Like it was out, and I'm like, I
3: can't do anything about this. Right. I'm done.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it was, it's funny you say that because um,
0: we did a video of one of my employees at Vision, and we used a boom mic. And when Braxton got done editing it, he's like, oh, my God, the background noise, it's so bad. And I was like, dude, I love it. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, the background noise is part of what makes it
2: so real. Yeah, exactly. Like live.
3: Yeah,
0: sure. we've, we've done
2: A-B testing with, right. with our podcast. Mm-hmm. We've done it straight up professional you know, rented some high end audio, fewest views we've got, right. The real stuff that you don't, you know, that's minimal editing. Um, generally we don't edit other than bill will throw in because we, so we do the video podcast. So he will throw in like when we do yours, he'll throw in some stuff of you doing your floor and the grand opening and, and you know, just images. The only thing that we really edit is the intro, because it takes me two what? or three times to get that. And then once we <laughs> nail that, then we just roll with it. Right. And right. Um, so people seem to respond better to that. Yeah, for whatever. in sentences
1: or like chunks. Yep. And then like pause. The pause is important. And yeah, the, And then repeat yourself. Look, I, I've got this down to science. like Because uh, I stumble over words. All right. Lot. And so I write mine out. Because if I try to speak off the cuff, it's like I'm not going to get everything out. So i try to write mine out i'll read it but if i stumble over a phrase or whatever i'll rewrite it or i'll pause and then i'll re-say it the way i want to and if it comes out smooth then all that's all post like snip 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 and put it it together together, yeah and and then done so the intros the intro and the outro more time yeah Yeah. no i see pre-edited pre-recorded pre-edited outro always the same slap that puppy at the end done (laughs) yeah note to self bill's gonna
2: be yeah, bill's just, gonna be doing that going forward because yeah. he'll do okay lee one more time i'm like fuck bill come on man you're killing times me, you want me to right. this. Yeah. that one was good he was like no, no no one more time you can do better oh dude that is crazy
1: lucas and i have been telling you about parts tech for a while now
0: Click the link in the show notes to get started. That is crazy.
2: So what's been going on in your world? So we've been busy um, um, trying to adapt with uh, with doing business during COVID, -COVID, post-COVID, dealing with uh, supply chain issues. Right. um, Major problem. I mean, not that that's any surprise to anyone, um, but, um, and not just getting stuff. Yeah. It's, you can get it, but it's how quick can you get it? Yeah. Um, port congestion. Um, cost. So I'm sure as shop owners, you guys have run into, you know, that part that you used to pay 30 bucks for is now 75. Right. And and the reason is, I mean, we're paying $30,000 for a 40-foot container. Right. That same container beginning of 2020 was 3,500 bucks. Dude, it's crazy. You You can't put any more material in the same size space, you know, so between weight and, and cubic inches, you can only put so much stuff in there. Right. So, you know, if we bring in a container of lifts, for example, you know, you get 24, 26 lifts if you're putting 10 K's in there. Right. Well, it's the same 24, 26 that you were getting when you, it cost you $3,500 to bring that container over. Right. Right. So now it's 30 grand. So you got to take that $30,000 divided by 26 lifts instead of 3500 that's your landed cost. That's why I lift the 6 grand today where it was, you know, yeah. we when we got started in the lift business, we were doing 10 ks at 2895 installed. Right. And, you know, now the lift itself is 4500 bucks. Crazy. You I know, mean, and that's without really the install. Really crazy. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I, I bought my lifts over a year ago, right? Okay. From the new shop. Yep. I bought them over a year ago and um, I said, "Look, you know, you can be flexible." Whenever you can get them is when you can get them. Not a big deal. They were paid for the whole nine yards. And it's still been a thing, right? Yes. It's still been, oh, they're not here yet. Oh, they've had problems with logistics. Hey, they've had problems with shipping. It's, it's one thing after another. And, and it was interesting today. So as we were sitting through the, the presentations and she was talking about all of the different things that, that lead up to this, the port congestion and all yep. of the different the, the factors and the, the um, uh, tariffs, still tariffs. And, and what they're trying to do and how those things are moving. And, you know, a lot of times I see folks, especially in the, in Facebook world, and they'll be like, oh, you you see, the problem is you got tariffs on steel. And the problem is, is we need to, we need to manufacture steel here in the States. There's not not
2: a a singular, there's not a singular problem. It's a culmination of, of a multitude of problems and some policy, some, you know, some, you know, China shut down again. Yeah, you know Shanghai is, is is shut down, so that's where all of your major steel manufacturing is is going to happen, and and that's everyone. Right. So that's that's John Bean. That's yeah, you know the the VSD Group or you know Rotary Forward. You know that right. their overseas production is coming out of that region of China. So when they're shut down, you're just not getting it. Yeah. you're not getting the production. At the same time, you have um, you know in California. And this is one of those policy things to protect the truckers unions. They, they passed a law that, that um, you have to be an employee of the trucking company, IE union right. to pick up from the dock. Uh-huh. Well, the vast majority of trucking companies out there utilize owner operators, right? Contractors, 1099 and guys, union. right? You're, so you can't pick up from the dock. So you already have a, you already have a port, that you can't unload fast That's enough insane. and then you just cut the amount of trucks that can actually come pick stuff up from the port while that problem is going on. So there's, like you said, it's not that singular, here's, you know, here's the smoking gun, right? right. It's, it's the, the culmination of all of these things happening at the same time right. that, that become an issue. Well, and, and it's go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. The, and, and then throw fuel in there. Right. Right. So so now diesel is what? You know, on average, close to five bucks. Right. I mean, it's five bucks at home.
0: And, and you know what got me in the new shop was, was garage doors. Okay. Right? So he says, order six months early, order like nine months early. Cool. No big deal. They're actually supposed to ship tomorrow. Right. And so halfway through, he says, hey, listen, there's a problem. Now, I know your garage doors were supposed to ship at the beginning of, um, you know, February, end of February, somewhere in that range. And, um, the reason that there were delays is because we couldn't get polyurethane and insulation. (laughs) We've got those now, but we don't have any garage door springs. Huh? (laughs) We have another problem, right? We can't get the springs and we can buy them elsewhere. And and the price ranges from 7,000 to Mm 11,000. And I'm like, what do you mean? The price ranges from seven thousand to eleven thousand. He said, "When Wait.
2: when you pull the trigger, we'll tell you how much you're going to pay."
0: Exactly, because yeah. I mean, every single day the price was going up and down and changing all over the place. And and I was talking to Pete Meyer just a little bit ago. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about the hotel. The hotel's been great, but you can tell they're a little short-staffed, right? You think? Yeah. When when it gets really busy, you can feel them sweating. You know. Yep. And so I went up to the front counter and like I'm standing there waiting for somebody to come unlock the door or lock the door, whatever it was, and and uh I was talking to Pete and I said, You know, is it possible that we're sitting here with piles of applications on our desk and we're saying, Yeah, but we're making more money now, so we just won't hire anybody. We'll just keep trucking just like we are and let it ride out. And if you yeah, I mean, we're all
2: used to a little bit less customer service now, so I I ponder that question myself a lot and and you know in mo- not just this particular hotel but in in multiple places that I go it's like did you figure out the bottom line was a little bit better and, and I'll give you a good example just specific to our industry right SEMA mm-hmm. so last year you know you, you go in and and I've been going to SEMA every year since 2006 mm-hmm you have to be almost grandfathered in to have a booth down in the right. tire and wheel section. You know, South Hall, lower level. It's packed from front door all the way to the back. Right. That's where they were doing on-site registration and badges was on the, in the South Hall, lower level, in that space. And half of the, the South Hall on the bottom level and on the top was behind pipe and drape they didn't have enough booths. Right. And, and I think when, when they canceled, I think you have all of these companies that realized, you know what, because the, the industry as a whole did really well. Oh yeah. Definitely. So, so what they realized was we could show a profit. We could show a bigger profit. SEMA is an expensive show to do as mm-hmm. as, as, as a, as, yeah. as, as a uh, you know, exhibiting. Uh, right. Company. I don't have to spend $300,000, 400000 on doing a booth. That's 100% pure profit back in the bank. Right. So I don't think that the pandemic is why the companies weren't there. I think it was the bottom line yeah. is why they weren't yeah.
0: there. I mean, and and didn't, didn't we just see a, a major manufacturer that says they're not going to be at, at SEMA? Was it Ford
2: that's saying they're not going to be at SEMA anymore? Or? I don't remember if it was Ford. It was someone. Right. Um and 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 I think again, I think it's the same thing. Um there was a reset that happened during COVID for, for a lot of companies, um, b- because you could. Right. Yeah. So you get busy being busy. Right. And and you you start doing things without even asking why you do it anymore. Right. B- because it's just that's what we do. Right. right? Everybody goes to semen. If you're anybody and everybody in this business, that's you're that's where what you're you at. do. Yeah. Right. But nobody ever asked why or is there a better way, or could we do this different? Well, when you just turn that switch off and, and you have some time to actually sit down and reflect, the question is, do, is there a better way of doing this? Right. Can we take that $300,000 and put that into digital marketing, which is you know one of the fastest-growing marketing platforms out there, and Definitely. get more of a return on investment, engage our customers better throughout the entire year, than putting on a grand show for four days, right? You know, so and and I think that's where those those companies' minds are.
1: That ends up being a complacency issue, on both the company and the the show as well. Because if the show wasn't pushing to show value, we were just dealing with this. You and I talking to a company about possible sponsorship deals, that kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. we were. Tripping over ourselves to show this is the audience that we're in front of. Yep. These are the amount of people that we're speaking to on a weekly basis. Right? These is how these are how many we have. All these analytics, and, and they're like, well, we don't get analytics from the our our current deals. What? what are you, then why <laughs> are you doing it? <laughs> what are right. you? Like, and, and, and the answer was, it's just sort of what we do. We right. always X Y Z. We've always done it. And so every year every every quarter every they just they show up and they like here's where's my money and they're like here's some money mention us and then it's good. Everybody seems to be happy but at no point they went I don't know that we're getting that much value out of this.
2: So 2020 we showed a 40% growth. Mm-hmm. And we shaved off $500,000 in expenses. <laughs> so we started asking that question a lot. Why are we doing this? And, right. and I started pushing back on the people that we advertise with. Give me that analytics. Yeah. Show me what we're doing. What, what do we get for... The money that i'm giving you and if you can't show that to me then why should i spend it right well you know shop owners we talk about them doing the spaghetti marketing
0: all the time taking a big ball of spaghetti and seeing what sticks on the wall and what falls off right well i mean if you're not tracking it and you don't know what's coming down the road and and you can't attribute that client
2: that walked through your door to that how do the, you know right what? and and but a lot of the so when you get busy being busy you just continue to do the same things you've already budgeted it in, so it's not right. it's it's not like a, a conscious decision to spend more money. This money you're already spending, so right. so it and and they're not bringing the value to to what David said. They're you know, I love SEMA. Don't e- don't get even me wrong.
1: I think the value is there. But I, I say complacency. you got to
2: earn your customer's business. You have to earn your customer's business. They, they just need to expected
1: earn the vendors to show up because e- it's exactly. SEMA. And it- SEMA's like, you know, how do you not show up to SEMA? It's like, right. well, hold on now. I swear I'm going to lose it on you. This is exactly what I was talking about. Well, or at
2: least it was a Coke instead of a beer. <laughs> it could have been.
0: Well, listen, I have been over here about and then to thunk. sneeze. I've been thunk. I've been over here about to sneeze for the past like ten minutes, and I'm trying to hold it in. I don't know if you notice my lip quivering. I'm like, so.
1: sorry. I, I think it's on. It's on the show. It's on the, the podcast show. It's on us yeah. to show the customer the value, and. Sure digital marketing is growing but a portion of that is we have to be on Facebook right It's like okay well hold on time out. what value are you getting out of your Facebook ads? Right. are you getting any value out of your Facebook ads? Can you show a correlation at least in the automotive world can you show an increase in, in phone call volume online inquiries? That's all it'll generate right can you show that and instead these marketing agencies are showing well you know hey we we posted this for you 1500 impressions it's like thank you that means but yeah but that's zero uh last week and 1500 i haven't seen any increase in in call volume that in the automotive world like for shop owners that's all that matters yeah and so maybe a little bit different for like a ford yeah they want to have impressions because it's it's much more difficult for them to to make the connection from that magazine ad all the way to sold vehicle. Right, but if they're not bringing that value and showing, hey, we were able to get you in front of one point two million right. people, however many show up to SEMA, uh, and now and we were able to track foot tra- uh, or keep track of foot traffic, and right. you had you know seven hundred thousand people come by and stop at your booth, like. Those are analytics that they could absolutely come up with. And what but what is your goal? Right. So so like
2: Ford's goal is is just brand awareness. Right. The the dealership's job is to go sell the truck. Right. So so their main goal is brand awareness, where your main goal and, and when I still have my shop open, my main goal was getting new vehicles in the door, getting my car count up, you know, um, finding you know fresh blood so to speak so i wanted to be able to tie that sh- specifically back to i spend this money i get this right. in return yeah um
1: the the problem though like some of these some of these companies will try to track like phone call and then we'll attach a name to that phone number that called in and it came through the website maybe maybe it didn't who knows and then they'll say, hey, you know, you, you're paying us $1,200 a month and we generated $8,000 back to you. And and it looks very nice. There's a lot of companies doing this. They'll put, put this report for you and you're like, oh, man, you guys are killing it for me. The problem, though, is that like how that was, after after a few months, they'll start looking through the reports. Maybe most of the time they don't even bother looking at the reports. But if they'll start looking through the reports and go, uh, this is a repeat customer. This is a repeat customer. Sue's been coming to me for 10 years. You're attributing that $1,500 sale to your marketing efforts. And What's it's it not. to do with you. Yeah. 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 And so, and I look, I've been like working on this for forever. Th- there has to be an analytic uh, that you can use to gauge marketing effectiveness for a small business. I don't know, we're getting off of here, but it, at the end of the day, for me, it, it turned into phone call volume as the as the pure metric, I can still see, the most powerful tool in the shop. Well, it, it, I can see those numbers correlate directly to my sales because it, if over a large period of time, you can say that I can convert X amount of phone calls into appointments and from those appointments that I've got my ARO then yep, and yeah, yeah, I've got all of that. But I have to generate X amount of phone calls for me to hit this number. And if I don't generate those phone calls... So now it's now it's a much easier path. Now you can start looking at it and say, well, what can I do? How many different avenues can I, can I use to generate those phone calls? And it may not just be this one thing. People overthink it, man. There's only two ways to grow sales.
2: Sell to more people right. or sell more to the people you're already selling to. Sure. That's it. So you either got to get... Your car count up, are you going to get your average you know, RO dollars up
1: one way or the other? But you still have to look at your, and that's the important thing, is you still have to look at your numbers. I, nobody talks about phone call volume. Nobody talks about phone call volume. I haven't heard anybody say it. Uh, but you do need to look at both numbers and determine where your opportunity is. Right. Because it's very easy to say, you could well, have plenty of cars more.
2: and you're just not making any yeah. money. On yeah, absolutely. Want. That's the that, problem. that's a yeah, major like, problem. Yeah. $238 problem. Dollar
1: ARO. Right. And you think you need more cars. Like, well, no, hold on now. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> you need
2: to look at the cars you're working on because there's well, opportunity.
1: Right.
0: Well, and, and, and those are the metrics that we usually see a, a shop owner comes in a complete panic, right? They're freaking out and, and they're really upset and things aren't going well and the staff stressed out and everybody's pushed to the limits. They figure out they're just turning through a ton of cars, and they're spending a ton of time just getting the car in and out, right? And think about the liability. If you move five or six cars through one bay in one day, think of the liability. You back out and back into the pole, you know, yep. even something so silly as that. Yeah. And then you think about, okay, what happens if I work on three cars? Right. Think about the reduced liability, think about the reduced workload on the staff. How many calls does the advisor have to make compared to, you know, six cars?
2: I the I wonder pressure that much... the shop owner goes through is is tremendous because he's trying to grow the business but he gets stuck working in the business instead it, it, of on the business. Exactly. And you just don't
1: see the forest for the trees sometimes. I wonder from uh from Ford's perspective. It, it's easy to say like for a company like yours, it's easy to say, Well, I took five hundred thousand we just we cut it and some of that might have been not going to that trade show and you cut this advertising out and a good portion of that may have been superfluous unnecessary redundancies whatever right but you take a company like ford and they may not see the 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 effect of them not going to a show like sema Because they show up to SEMA, they produce this buzz, people start talking about it online, then it goes viral, maybe, maybe it doesn't. But you have enough people talking about it that there's like all this extra press and publicity that's generated from then showing up to SEMA and putting on a good show. That then translates into more people showing up at the dealerships because of the buzz that was generated in SEMA. And that's really difficult to quantify to put a metric around it. It is because, you know, Ford was
2: probably the biggest it, as far as participation and, mm-hmm. and wow factor Ford, you know, my experience, personal experience being a car guy, Ford, and I'm a GM guy, but right. Ford outdoes everybody at SEMA yeah. historically. I, I remember when they did the, um, you know, the Jim Cotta video with, uh, with, with Ken block and, you know, and they had it on the big jumbotron out there mm-hmm. and, and, I mean, it stopped everybody in their tracks watching that video, but, but that's, I mean, that one thing was millions of dollars. Exactly. And so they put, there's a huge cost to it. And, And like you said, how do you, how do you quantify that? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? You almost have to not do it and see what happens. I know, right. And then somebody's getting fired if it doesn't work out right. That's right. It. And, and yeah, maybe that's know. what's happening right, right. now. It and, could, could be and, and, somebody's head's on the chopping block, maybe. And they or might be or you're the, the hero.
0: Right. They might be listening to the podcast going, oh, shit, I made the wrong call. That's right.
2: <laughs> that was my assistant that did that,
0: not right. me. Exactly. I, I'm curious what
1: you, you guys do, because it, like, in my mind, it, it makes sense to push – direct response marketing advertise directly to the end user hit them up on facebook or something like that hey pick up this tool pick up this tool pick up this tool whatever for us it's video that that's the decision that we've made Mm
2: -hmm. um we've tried everything and and we're not the best at, at marketing to to be fair um But we really do know and understand our audience because I'm blessed with having a crew that's a bunch of car guys. Right. So we're all industry guys that love the industry, love what we do, and we understand our customers because they're also happen to be car guys. Right. So the greatest return on investment that we've ever received was from videos. Um, Some of them product comparison. Some of them were just how-to. You know, we, we dealt with a... And Azuzu NPR that had a comp, apparently it was our, one of our trucks. Um, and apparently this was a common problem. We didn't realize it at the time because we're not diesel guys, we're car guys. But, but we decided to do a video and, and diagnose this problem and come up with the fix and all this kind of stuff. So we did that. And that video has like 15,000, 20,000 views. Right. Um, people were still watching that video. Uh, we 've done some product comparisons. We had a, a YouTube influencer that that we used to work with that did a a product comparison on one of our jump boxes you know to show the power of it because it's it's relatively small right um, and and noco you know and they do a great job, but they really kind of dominate that space self serving comment but but I believe we have a better product so what we did he did this video, and this is what I was talking about earlier you know before we got started is is doing those. Real videos versus the propaganda, what I refer to yeah. as the propaganda videos. Right. So Kyle went home and took his Duramax and just turned on headlights and wipers and you know radio and everything on and left it until the battery was toast. Right. And then went out there, hooked up the Noco, and it was click click click. Couldn't get it to start. And hooked hours up and showed it with a with a multimeter and everything, showing voltage on the battery and And sure enough, you hook ours up and and boom, it it starts. So we have a coupon code that was in that video. Now, we did this two years ago. Right. We're still getting sales on the website with that coupon code on it. You could
0: have told me about this coupon code before I went and bought all these no-code jump boxes. I mean, you didn't
1: say a word. I I wasn't a big fan of the no-code. I bought a bunch of them. I no, I bought one, and, um, he didn't I even not, tell
0: me. He didn't. Even, we're friends on it.
1: Facebook, so, so
2: it is. I mean, literally, it's it's half or a third of the size of the Noco. So really? when you look at it, you're like, no way. I right. said that. That's why I sent it to Kyle. I was like, I want you to do this video for me, and um, and and I want it to be real. You know, I, I want to know whether we've got a good product. We don't have a good product because right. I wasn't sold. I didn't think it had enough in it to to actually be able to you know because it's supposed to be be able to do up to nine liter diesels or something like that. Right. That's that's a lot of yeah. That's a lot of go go juice. Yeah, and a little box. I was starting the I was starting
0: the old international that I had that I was moving all the dirt for the new shop. I was using it with the Noco
1: and and it took three of them and another jump box too. Um, yeah, Sorry. That, that's what I'm saying. I bought the Noco and it was the my normal jump pack is a little low, so I need to add the no code to it, and it was the supplement. That's only that's that's when we use it. It sits like on my windowsill at the very back of the shop, and it just hangs out there. Nobody uses it. We still
0: use them. We we yeah. use them for you know, but but it's got to be little stuff. It can't be.
2: it can't be a heavy hitter. I I did an hour long video on a scanner comparison picking on Snap-on. I like to pick on Snap-on. For for one, I was a Snap-on customer, I was a Snap-on dealer, and I was a Snap-on employee. I feel like I've earned the right to pick on that. (laughs) So um, we did a a bike comparison, you know, so we did, um, I did one on Ducati, um, did one on Harley Davidson, um, showing Snap-on's bike coverage versus, you know, Texas. And we're the, the main importer from north america for texas so that yeah. obviously there was a reason why i did it but i wanted i knew snap on being the company that they are they you know it's that ford thing they have that brand recognition yeah. and everybody's going to assume that this is a great product and it wasn't a bad product i just wanted to sh- to show people that there was a better alternative that offered right. more coverage and yeah. so we went through button for button click for click and I didn't think anybody's going to watch it because it was an hour long video. And and again, we still get you know leads coming in that we send out to our distributors s- specifically off of that video.
3: Yeah,
1: the, SnapOn's a perfect example of what we're talking about here. They rely almost entirely on maybe this is a I'm going to say it anyway. It, it, they they rely on the ignorance of the shop or the technician purchasing the tool
2: that's the power of brand recognition though it's it's not
1: no i don't think that's it because if it's just macco showing up or just mac showing up to that shop they do this the same thing it's all yep. the, the bigger tool manufacturers they show up and they go i'm in front of you look at our brand new triton whatever right. doodad you should buy this thing that's eight thousand dollars and they 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 have to they they rely on the fact that that technician has apparently never been on the internet
2: so so <laughs> here's the other thing ask the guy where the power button is
1: 90 percent <laughs> of them don't know where it is th- that might be true but th- that's my point they if they had spent any time networking if you go online, the buzz isn't for the Snap-on tool. No, Everybody is talking about tool X, tool Y, tool Z. Absolutely. Yep. And the ones that, that take the moment and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump online before I spent $8,000 with a Snap-on guy. I'm going to ask.
2: I mean, you can, you can find the
1: same and, tool
0: for $3,000 using brand new. They just sell it. It's not even and that. And David,
2: it's that's just, exactly why we're doing video. Yeah, Be, because that's happening more and more. You have a younger generation that, and that, that so you're again, seeing that transition.
1: Yeah. That's my point. Yes. The complacency that snap one's like, well, well, this is the way we've always done it. We don't need to necessarily go out and get in front of a YouTube influencer. I don't need to send my tool to Mario. And have him check it out and, and play with it on, on one of his videos. I don't need to do that. Why? Because we're Snap-on or we're Mac yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like we've always done it, this very direct sales. The, the sales guy shows up and he shows the tool off and we finance it and this, that, and the other. Where some of these more savvy technicians, again, they're, they're almost in a very complacent fashion assuming that it's always going to be like this and at no point are a huge swath of these smarter more advanced technicians the very kind that we need in the industry is going to go online and make a more educated decision on where they're going to spend their four or five thousand dollars they're, they're going they're to realize
2: feeling, <laughs> they're feeling it in their market share you know so yeah. you think yeah for sure um i know well, I'm not going to tell you why I know, but
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> I'll leave that alone. We're, we'll keep that keep that out of the podcast. But um, so when I was a franchise, um, and and when I was an employee, there were, there were many conversations that about you know market share. When when I started, I was when I was an employee when I first started with Snap On, I was a tech rep, and up to that point, um, they don't even have the tech rep program anymore. But, but um, at that point in time, you could have any aftermarket scan tool you wanted as long as it was OTC or Snap-on. Right. And today, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. And so you got people, Snap-on had to up their game um, in, in a major way. And in 2003, you know, I was, I'm a vocal person. Um, I think the only reason I stayed employed with Snap-on is because I, I put up good numbers. It's the only reason they tolerated me. Because I was telling them, we've got to do body controls. They yeah. didn't have body controls in 2003. Right. It was engine and transmission and ABS. That was it. Those were the three options in the tool. Wow. But I'm like, you know, I'm competing. I'm a sharp tech. I was a drivability guy. So I'm competing with the Vtronics guy. Right. And and he's got body controls and he's got and I'm like and, and I came from GM and I'm like you can't fix a GM car with this tool. Right. It wasn't until Launch, you know, when I was a director of sales and marketing for Launch, when I left Snap-on, I took over as director of sales and marketing for Launch. So I had a lot to do with the development of that tool over time. And Launch was the the springboard for everything else that you see in the market today, and now there's a plethora of tools, but it's still only a couple companies. Yeah. So, so Matco is is launch, yeah, and right. Top Don is launch, and basically a few years ago, launch decided that what they really do best is writing protocol, and we'll sell it to anybody and everybody and put it in a box for you. Right. So that's why you got a million different, you know, Chinese companies that are coming on the scene. But a lot of that software is the same derivative, right? Just in a different box. So I've got to ask the question now that you brought
0: it up. Um, the, there were a lot of conversations over the past couple of days that, that some people were having. And David and I both kind of said, well, we don't really know what to make of that. We had some some thoughts and some feelings when it comes to tools and China and what's mm-hmm. going on, right? Right. And, and so my biggest perspective, and a lot of people have said this and they're like, I don't know what that is. When, when we're talking about data security and
3: mm-hmm. we're talking
0: about some of these tools that could potentially be doing other things with the data aside from just giving it to you so you can fix the car. And so one of the things that, that I think about, if you've bought security cameras lately, you know, there's two different types of security cameras that are available in the U S. One is the NDAA compliant and one is not. Right. And that is all because. They figured out that, uh uh-oh, somebody else is watching these videos and we know they're watching these videos and these security cameras have in their terms of service that that video is going somewhere else and that can't be in a school, that can't be in a Navy base. Any
2: government government, uh, institution. Right. And so... But high K vision, so that's one of the most common of those cameras out there and they are everywhere. Yeah. I have them in my building. Right. I didn't realize it at the time until so this was I put those cameras in before uh, Trump passed that legislation that that put them on the the ban list right um you know but do, so do you spend fifty sixty thousand dollars in upgrading your cameras <laughs> right. I mean seriously yeah or or do I really care yeah. that somebody in China is watching my inventory because we're not doing anything top secret well, does that make sense of but, course but, but if I had intellectual property going on and i had cameras in in a development space now that's a whole different animal well this is where the, some of the this is
1: where some of the conversation went yeah because there there's a camp that says ultimately they're subsidi- subsidizing the cost of the the equipment the tool the yep. the, the electronics whatever by taking your data so and, instead of buying a fifty thousand dollar camera buy,
2: system, I will make the comment that if you buy and and use a Chinese tool, you have to do so with a reasonable assumption that that's exactly what's happening.
1: Yeah, but you're, and that's the that was the this camp's point is that tool should be $8,000, but you're buying it for three. And the reason why it's three is because the software may not have come from a uh, direct sales type of thing. It was, uh, they weren't, it ETI was, so, so there's, also, engineered or, there's also the currency
2: manipulation. So it used to be 25%. I don't know if that's still accurate or not, but so for every Chinese company that brings in a dollar in, um, U.S. dollars. None of the Chinese companies will take RMB, which is their local, their local currency. So they, they want you to pay in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese government supplements that. So if it's a thousand dollars, they're, they're adding 25% to it. So they can sell it that much cheaper because China manipula- is, is a currency manipulator, they're subsidizing. They want to bring in U.S. dollars. They want to, don't want to bring in their money. They want to bring in U.S. dollars into their country, and they supplement these companies to do it. Aha. So, so well, that, that was what this— Somebody's going to shoot me for that. I'm going to be, like, <laughs> on an assassination <laughs> list still, somewhere.
1: They're still <laughs> collecting the data and either using it or selling it. And my point with the well, I'm not doing anything, so I don't care that they're watching me. But it's so you, it's
2: your data, but it's not your data too, right? Well, it's your only customers' because, data. Well,
1: yeah. yeah, it's as it right? as it relates to the vehicle. Yeah, sure. But there's there's one camp that says, hey, they're doing it for nefarious reasons, this, that, and the other, or at least um, there's a security problem, specifically with vehicles. This person mentioned they could shut down huge swaths of our infrastructure overnight. Yeah. And, and you know, my response to that is, I don't know that they would, because we're their largest customer. They don't want to shut down our economy. However, so we think we we think in the now.
2: They think in in the next century. Exactly. And yeah. and it's a different it's the reason a different Why mindset. they
1: want to watch you on their on your security cameras is they're looking for psychological cues. Yes, they're looking for. when is the right time how can i exploit this what is the best what are your habits how do you react to this
3: how yes
1: and how can we exploit it manipulate it benefit from it because we know how are you going to act that seems to be more their end game than we're going to shut down every vehicle because we have control of the ados system
2: they they don't want to destroy the world they want to rule the world. Yeah. Right. There's a difference. Right. Nobody wants to be the king of the hill, right. with nothing on. Yeah. The, you know, All with right. mulch no, pile. Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. Yeah. Well, and and so th-
0: this particular camp, as as David would call them, David's David's assumption of it was is that hey, they've worked really hard to build this awesome tool. And they've put a lot of work into doing it the right way and following proper protocols and and obtaining the information, the, the way.
1: licensing and all of right. that legally. And,
0: and yet, now here under comes U.S. The, law, right <laughs> now here comes this other company, and they might take shortcuts and other ways to obtain that information.
2: Big difference between reverse engineering and right-click copy and paste.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. And so, my question for you, as a tool guy. Uh, You know, it seemed like this person was really upset, really bitter, like, hey, I've worked my ass off for all these years. And I have really killed myself for this. And now here, somebody just completely undermines it. I can't sell my tool for what I need to just to survive. And they're over here selling it for this. You
2: know, what what do you say to that? So um, I'm with them in the um, it really kind of pisses me off, to, to be honest with you. So I have worked with TEXA, which is an Italian based company. Right. And I've worked with TEXA since, uh, first started having conversations with them in 2011. Okay. Um, helped them get their platform ready for sale in North America. And in those business discussions, because of that, we didn't release car software. Right. Because they're so, it, it's such a, um, cluttered field yeah. of no money. Right. Honestly because you have to compete with the Chinese and it's almost impossible to compete with the Chinese. You got to have massive volume, like a snap on, you know, a right. snap on still the 800 pound gorilla on the block when it comes to scan tools, right. Always will be as long as they own the bank, you know, cause if you can fog a mirror, you can pretty much get financed and yeah. you know, there's a lot of customers out there that need that. Right. So, so there's a section of the market that they're always going to own until somebody else comes in and decides to be the bank as well. Um, so if you don't have that kind of volume, you really can't compete with the Chinese right. and they don't, um, they, they don't respect intellectual property. So what we did is since Texas does diagnostics for five environments, we just focused on truck off highway. Cause these were, you know, much like the, when I started with launch, you know, you could have anything. You wanted as long as it was snap-on or OTC, right? Well, in the heavy-duty space, when when I started with with Texa, it was the same way. You could have any tool you wanted as long as it was Noragon or Nexic, which is snap-on, right. Right? right? So that was the only game in in the heavy-duty aftermarket. So we we brought in a, a multi-brand aftermarket approach, the same way that the automotive scan tool companies uh, approach the automotive market. We approach the truck market. Now, if you look at that, now we're dealing with all the Chinese competitors, but, but we've made a statement as to who we are in that space. So we are the benchmark right, have some in brand. that heavy-duty space. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, didn't have, we just didn't have the bandwidth to be able to do that in the automotive space. Right. We just recently released the car software, and that was to, to back up ADOS because we've got an awesome ADOS system. So we wanted to be able to back, you know, you've got to have the software if you're going to, if you're going to have the structure and the targets. Right. So, right. so we, we didn't have much of a choice, but to release the the general purpose car software to be able to back up the ADOS program. And that's why we did it. But you know, it's, it's a disadvantage for a company. You know, if, if you go to Texas website, texa.com and, and you scroll down, you know, like on the, about the company page, right there, all of their certifications are there. So one of the certifications that they have as a company is data security and protection. That's pretty cool. It's very difficult to get that because Texas is a tier one OEM supplier, right? You can't be a tier one OEM supplier if you don't have that, if you're, you know, so they do some things with, I'm not going to mention the names cause I don't know what's yeah, NDA and what's not. Um, but, but there's several, you know, te- they do several telematic systems for OEMs and, and things like that. So, they do everything the right way and, right. and there's a cost to that. Yeah. And, um, so it puts a company like that at a disadvantage to a company that is backed up by a
1: country that doesn't
2: respect somebody else's
1: intellectual property. You would think that Ados would be the thing that breaks. Like the, the lower cost sector as far as like scan tools and things like that. So if part of that problem is
2: overseas, honestly. Part of that problem is you guys, too. Not you specifically, right. Of course, but oh, the shop definitely owner. Him. Yeah. Definitely no, him. Definitely him. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. But th- that's what I'm saying. It's, is, it's, so the shop owner, A, is willing to buy less. So, so this is the equivalent. As a shop owner, there was nothing more irritating for me than to have a customer come in and want me to put on his parts. It was very frustrating. Right. Yeah. Because half the time, it's not the right part. Right. Now my base tied up. You got the wrong parts. Now I'm waiting for you to run around and get the right parts. Then when it does go wrong, because it's going to go wrong, you want me to to still honor, you know, warranties and everything else. And you supplied the parts. So that bothered me. And then the other, the, the, the bigger peeve that I had was, um, you know, the guy down the street will do it cheaper, right? He's not doing the job that I'm doing. Right. You know, he's not performing the service that good, I'm good performing. Yeah. So many shop owners that I talk to do the same thing with the tool and equipment. Guys yes. And that's yeah. so like when I was signing up for the podcast, that's kind of what I was trying to get to. And what I was writing is, you know, support the guys that are doing it right. Yeah. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. Because that's
1: right. really hard when the tool is three times the price. That's really hard. That's with true. Scan tool. But that's my point with the ADOS. There's a massive amount of risk that you're taking on doing an ADOS calibration just in general. Yes. All of a sudden, you're buying a Chinese brand, a sketchy Chinese brand, at a third of the price of the next guy. And some of those targets are resized. And you don't know that because I don't know what you just said. And then <laughs> you're, you're buying this tool because it was 9000 and. You know, the Texas tools, not 9,000 for the same thing that I could get the Chinese brand for. So I'm willing to pay the $9,000, but now I'm taking on this risk, the risk that if it's not exactly right or it's using the wrong kind of software, it doesn't calibrate it properly because it's using something. That's are the, are the instructions correct? Yeah, exactly.
2: So, right. so if you take like a radar cone on one of the, the more popular Chinese alternatives, um, they have one cone. But the manufacturers, Toyota, Nissan, everybody that uses that cone, they have different sizes. So, so when you resize a target, regardless of what kind of target it is, you reposition it. You're trusting in an algorithm, right? So basically, this is a zero-point set. Right. Okay, So you're telling, you're telling the system where zero is. Well, if that target is, is deviating from OE you have to have an algorithm so if it's closer to the car or farther away from the car or it's just a smaller target or a bigger target there has to be an algorithm there telling the car when you hit that button that the target is in the right place and it's reading it in the in the right way does that make sense yeah, absolutely yeah so do you trust the chinese to, to make that accurate when you're dealing with a system that could activate and literally cause a fatal accident i
0: listen i who's going from-
2: to who is going to back you up if it's not right so so no one and if you want to get into that's my point so so if you want to get into um there is a company out there and and I'll put this out there for for the shop owners there is a company out there that will do indemnification um there's only one that I know of and and that's v s g uh with the mosaic we're we're involved with that program with them um so the mosaic unit is is a um, um, structure that positions the targets for you. So the targets are RFID chipped. Mm-hmm. So if it, recall, if it requires the, the Toyota 1, you hang the Toyota 2 target on it. The software recognizes that you've got the Toyota 2 target on and tells you it's the wrong target. You've got you to put that on there. Their tablet has all of the OE instructions on it. And then as you go through that, it makes you take pictures, and it stores that picture as part of the the file that report yeah. that you're doing. So if you're doing a forward-facing camera, you pull the vehicle in, the system measures the distance of the vehicle. It can move forward or back. you got to get it close, but but it can move forward or back, I think, six inches, something like that. And it can move the target side to side. So you get it relatively close. The, the machine positions the target That's for cool. you. Yeah. It makes you take a picture of tire pressure. Makes you take a picture of the the fuel gauge. Yeah. If you're doing a rear mat or a cone or whatever, when when you lay out the mats and and it's telling you where to place the cone, you have to take a picture of every cone, every placement. And they will do indemnification because they can. There's a calibration on the machine itself. Every 24 hours, you have to run. It takes about five minutes. You run through a self calibration, much like a radar. Right for you know for police. Right, you go to court, traffic court and then the, they want to know when's the last time you calibrated your radar gun same thing so this is calibrated every 24 hours they can attest to that they can attest to the tire pressure was correct the fuel level was correct the positioning of the cone was correct and the and the right cone or target or mat was used because it's all in the picture and as such they will indemnify you it also requires that the technician each individual technician not the shop but each individual technician that has a login to the tablet has to go through the ADOS training so that they understand the difference between LIDAR and radar and forward facing cameras and all these, you know, parts and pieces that go into the, into the ADOS system. It's not a,
0: it's not a (laughs) for
2: sale system. It's a for lease. So you get the unit it's in that 1700 bucks a month. You get the unit, you get all the targets you get, you know, they take care of warranty and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Additional targets come
1: out later on. You'd have to buy them. So, so That's a smarter model to ensure that you, they've got the most accurate system.
2: Yeah. So, so there's a company called Burke Porter Group. Okay. Burke, Burke Porter Group builds the structures that all of the OEs use at the assembly line to calibrate ADOS. Hmm. So they can do a, a vehicle, I think it's every three minutes or some kind of insane. But this is a multi-million dollar right. unit. So the Mosaic unit was built on that chassis with that thought process in mind in the same way that they do it at the OE's. So it's a well thought out, you know, I'll send you guys a a video of us doing some,
1: Doing some calibrations. What do you do with the companies though? The the Chinese companies who have taken the approach of, we're going to flood the market with our product and we're going to get that product in front of enough influential people to make sure that it, grabs as much market share as possible and nobody is putting any thought into any of what you just said there. <laughs> yeah. So
2: honestly, there's, there's, I think my, my opinion is there's two ways to, to deal with that legislation, which is always slow. And ultimately, and I'm not a big fan of legislation just because it usually misses the mark. Right. It, it takes a shot at it and never hits the mark and then has unintended, unintended consequences. consequences. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and usually the unintended consequences are worse than, <laughs> the, original, than the original problem. Right. Um, what we can do as a community, as, as an industry, is just not participate. But that takes the shop owner being willing to pay more. It takes the shop owner being willing to, to work with companies that are doing it the right way. Um, and then eventually they go away on their own. Right. Um, you
1: know, and or forces them to pivot yeah, if they want to stay it, stick around. Yeah,
2: money is an is a necessary evil, but it is an evil.
3: Yeah,
2: um, there's a lot of big companies that deal with those Chinese companies, and they know. I know. Right. I've had conversations with them. They know all of the nefarious things that these companies do and all the illegal stuff that they do they're indemnified. So, uh, you know, if you're dealing with these large, you know, parts companies and, and all these other places that sell equipment, they have an indemnification clause in their contract. So they really truly don't care. Right. That it, these people it, it are doesn't doing matter it. who we hurt. Right. Because it doesn't hurt us. And and it's good from a bottom line.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it, it comes back to a conversation that David and I had a while back with a parts executive. And we talked about like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you would put some type of of warranty in place for the shops that are doing it the right way, in other yes. words, certified and trained technicians and that we're doing this, and wouldn't it be cool if you got rid of the one thirty four cans because like you want to fix that problem? I'm seeing systems destroyed by somebody with a one thirty four can that shouldn't be putting in a car right right shouldn't we isn't there some like line of entry <laughs> to to work on a car? And shouldn't we all come together and say, "Look, we're going to support one of a, one another, right?" And they said, "Uh, yeah, that's never going to happen, right? Because nobody's going to want to stick their neck out, right? First, exactly, yeah. and and nobody, you don't want to lose parts sales, right? That's what they're in the
1: business of doing. And I, I've, the problem is, you, you, if you, if there was a parts distributor that went into it with a very specific, a very specific plan." to capture the, the do commercial business. Yeah. Exclusively. Not to, not that they would need to completely close out retail, but be the one place that says we're going to charge list on retail.
2: But, but then would you guys, but then would you guys support them? And and you guys, not I, you individually, I do now. You, you would, but as, as a community, do yeah. you support them or, or do you buy into advance problem. when they've got the promo and you can save a few dollars, right? You've got it.
1: it you've got to support that it's hard local to say business because they own everybody now. But I shouldn't have said that <laughs> out loud. I'm sorry. I <laughs> just jumped. They own everybody now. But you take take. Uh, so my my main supplier is Factory Motor Parts. They don't sell to the retail public. Yep. Okay. My problem with Factory Motor Parts and what drives me absolutely nuts, and I tell them about this, is that they they are. Shaping their product line to try to compete against the retail stores that are also selling commercial. Right. Because they're hearing from their customers, the my my fellow shop owners, that hey, this tire rod end needs to be 17. I can't buy your $45 tire rod end. And I'm telling them, screw those guys. Carry the Sankey 555 line, carry TRW, and let the product line sell for you because you do have the best quality and just load up on that and completely forget that white box box $17 and let that guy who's going to end up returning that thing 16 times anyway and bitch about your delivery times the entire time, forget that guy. Let him buy from the retail parts store. And go after, and and really, the only thing they have to do is have it in stock and get it there in a consistent right. time frame. It, it, not the sh- not the fastest, consistent time frame. If they did those two things, had it in stock, they had the Denso part in stock, they had the Sankey 555, and what are the good brands? Lemfer or Lemford? Or yeah. How do you pronounce that? Move. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not what you not said. A, I'm teasing. Yeah. What? Well, uh,
0: Well, and and here's the thing. The the
1: OES brands. Let's call them that. If they had like all OES and it was just they had it in stock because that's always the problem. It's like, oh, yeah, we carry TRW. By the way, it's three days out, but I've got the Moog. It's like, dude, I don't want your Moog. I want the TRW. I want the whatever. And so if they had it in stock and they would just maintain a consistent delivery time, they would absolutely destroy because those lower-end shops – would all be fighting each other, and the retail stores would be great. Service them all day long. Those the and so in that seventeen dollars. If tower you riding. have that company and they're
2: successful, they get bought out by an Advance or yeah. an AutoZone. Yeah, because you had one. It was WorldPack.
3: The, the pro, yeah. So years
2: ago, that used to be WorldPack. Right, almost and, to the T. And and that's who I dealt with. I it mean, the, our our the, shop was predominantly Europe
1: European. So the problem with WorldPack before they got bought out. Is that there was one, there was a level of elitism in there in my mind. I was a small rinky dink, you know, one man yeah. shop, so two you man did, shop. You, you didn't rate. I didn't rate. Yeah. And so I couldn't get the pricing. You have to you have credit with us for X amount of time before we even bother delivering to you. And you're like, well, what the crap? Yeah. you treated me like you. the neighbor's yeah. redheaded. Stuff exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that 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 was one of the issues and then the other issues was the the structured delivery times and it was like dude sometimes like especially if you're new you don't plan those things out properly and all of a sudden i need that part and so that's where everybody else got in yeah south alabama was lucky
2: that i got it next day so because i we were coming out of atlanta so I had everything.
1: Next day w- worked out for me, but but, if but I you had to go one thing. Oh my goodness! Like, it yeah, was all over, done. right. Done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They the one thing they had was they had the right inventory. Yep, they had the right product and they had good pricing and they had great levels. I don't know why nobody has put two and two together. Now, to factory's credit, I will say they have done a very good job of going back and saying, "Yeah, you know what? All of a sudden we need to add Denso." We need to start adding some of these lines that everybody's clamoring for that nobody else seems to be wanting to supply. And at that point, like I stopped caring about price. It's like, I want that dental alternator. Yeah. I don't care that I'm paying 250 and that white box is 110. Right. I'm paying the 250 price, every time. Ton- price yep.
2: and service. Yep.
1: You know, get, get me quality and get it to me when you say you're going to get it to me. Don't drop the ball. That's it. Those two things. I need the part in stock the right part in stock and I, I need it in stock and I need Consistent delivery times. But but
0: we also have to produce the capacity or the 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 numbers for them, right? There's got to yeah. be enough of us, you know, and in, in like SSF, right? That they're very, very particular about where they'll market at and where they'll they'll support. So
1: SFS S, SF yeah. <laughs> I thought they got bought out by autism, but that was IMC. Yeah,
2: yeah. So so a good friend of mine owns a high volume European shop. where I live and they've walked away from world pack. He's the guy that got me into world pack. Right. Um, only reason I got the pricing, he got his rep. This is a good friend of mine. You know, it was the good old boy system. Right. So, so Michael got me what I needed, um, and got me hooked up with him after that, that, you know, acquisition, um, world pack. Wasn't the same. It it was a slow deterioration into, you know that that juggernaut that's called Advanced Auto Parts. So they dropped a product line. That's what and, it was. And he's he's um, he switched to uh, SSF. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And and you know I, I've bought a bunch of parts from them. They're very very reliable. When you call them up, and they're very. How are you
1: getting SSF? I
0: can't get an SSF.
1: They ship it to you. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and and here's the thing: is that you you call them and and they say, hey. Just want to advise you. Probably wouldn't do that part on that car. I'd do this instead of that. I would do this this way. Hey, here's my recommendation. Here's what I've got. Here's when I can have it to you. Very, very professional organization. And I've talked to them about sponsoring some shows and stuff that we all go to. And they're like, listen, we have a very, very specific. Niche customer. Yep. This is all we're looking to target because we can do this really, really well, not saying we don't care about the industry, not saying we don't care about all this other right. stuff.
2: But they care about doing what they do, and do at a high level. Damn well. Yeah. Damn well. And we should all do that. Yeah, you exactly. Know, and, and our businesses, we should all do that. It's it's really tough to do, quote unquote, everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the
1: problem. So we're all screwed. Is that we're, this was, Yeah, we're going to start buying scan tools on Wish.com. Scan tools on so, wish.com. Yeah. So throwing <laughs> our parts from wish.com. Yeah. Well listen. Throwing
2: an idea out there. You know, with with all of these people that, that you guys are interconnected with, there are parts buying groups. Why not have your own parts buying group? Okay. Gonna, you know, where where you can go directly to TRW and that's an interesting idea. And, I will head
1: that sucker up. Are you kidding me? You know, and, I'm in the wrong and, business. And, as and I don't know either. how
2: many feathers you ruffle in that process, but it's worth the question. You know, This is going back years and years we and need years Dutch ago. Money. But, Dutch, but are you listening? When, we need Dutch money. <laughs> when, when I used to work for, for uh, Bridgestone Firestone, you right. know, if, if, if we bought a EV, they were big on MOOC um if we bought an ev127 inner tie rod from napa i think we paid 60 bucks for it right it was nine dollars internal cost
0: holy cow but
2: that's because you know bridgestone's big enough they don't buy from napa they buy directly from you know or Mm -hmm. trw or Bendix or ray bestas or whoever they're whoever they're they're using so when you have that buying group, you can get that kind of buying power, you know, but how many shops do you need? How do you work out logistics? You know, it would be a deeper logistics conversation. Would
1: be the, the bigger issue is yeah. how you're well, going to get that stuff distributed. How much are you really going to be able to buy? And that, that, that's the bigger issue.
2: That's a
0: really interesting conversation because, you know, it, it was something I was thinking about earlier, right? We're, we were talking to somebody about pricing in the independent repair shop. And so I was talking to her and I said, Hey, I think it was a hurt. Long story short, here's the thing, is that the the dealer, we're, we're over here saying we should be less than the dealer, right? How many right. how many repair shops and their owners have you said? Why? Exactly. But, I mean, how many
2: of them have said to you, hey, I, I can't charge that much. i got to be just a oh, little bit less and, than the and dealer. Entirely too many. And, and a little bit less is not a little bit less either. It's a lot of bit less. Exactly. And now let's
0: think about this for a minute. First of all, they have a whole lot more buying power than you do. They're buying things less expensively than you are. They've got additional revenue streams. They're only working on a certain model of vehicles. They're new vehicles. They don't have the challenges that we have.
2: They're backed up by the manufacturer. Right. And over here, we're here and, on our own. And, and here's the funny part. They have a lower cost in labor than you do. Yeah. Because you're paying tax more money. To keep them out of the dealership, absolutely, so, and yet here we are, we're charging less than they are because
0: the dealer's the golden standard i I don't know about you, but I said in the same class as everybody else did, and it did not seem like even the manufacturers thought the dealer was the
2: golden standard i I never did when when I ended up when I ran the shop, I ended up buying it from a friend of mine. I, had used, I was one of his, te- I was his drivability tech this right. is going back years. So my career took a different path. Originally, my, my ambitions in life w- was to own my own shop, Loved the business, loved what I did. I ended up getting into the equipment side and I, but before I did, I told him, man, when you're ready to sell this place, you let me know I'm going to buy it. I'm going to own right. this place. Years went by. I'm doing my thing with Texas. Texas taken off. It's growing. Life is great. And he calls me one day and says, I'm ready to retire. You still want to buy it? I'm like, and I felt obligated, like, right. Like I had given somebody <laughs> a commitment and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, holy shit. No, I don't need a shop. Oh my God. What did I commit to? And I told him, yes, like involuntarily just Yes, I just know. jumped out of my mouth. So I'm running the shop. Um, my son works with me in the, on the equipment business. Mm-hmm. So my son and my son-in-law are, are, you know, running the equipment business. I'm running the shop. I'm literally burning the candle at, at both ends. But the first thing that I did when I took over the shop, his labor rate was like $85. Right. And I bumped it to a buck 10. Nobody right. batted an eyelash. Right. And he was one of those shop owners that he paid his tax well. So he wasn't making any money. Right. And, and, you know, I used to tell him, your labor rate's entirely too low. If, yeah. And he was like, but all these other shops around me, this is where they're at. I said, and they shouldn't work on a tricycle. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and you're comparing yourself by staying where they are. You're putting yourself into that category. You have state-of-the-art equipment. Yeah. you got highly trained techs. You're sending them to training. You're doing all of these things. There's a value that comes with that. Not to mention the fact that everybody that goes over there is bringing their car to you for you to fix yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. It's so. still coming to you anyway. And, and
0: look, dude, at the end of the day, I think that, that we have undervalued the skilled trades as a whole. I'm, I, you talk to a lot of technicians and they say, we're underpaid. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But the skilled trades as a whole, whether it's a carpenter, whether it's a plumber, whether it's – right? The, people didn't appreciate the trades. And, and unfortunately, until there's a shortage of the trades, they don't understand how important they are. But we've always looked at white collar work and really kind of put it up on a pedestal and said, how great is this? It's the best of the best. And if you're a lawyer, you should make lots of money. And I'm, I'm not saying it's not true, but the point is, is overall, the market has been devalued for so long. We've not been charging what we need to charge as skilled
2: Employees, and, right, and that's the biggest. If if I could change anything in this business, the perception of what we do in yeah. this business would would be it. The value that we bring to the world, right, would would yeah. would be paramount, and people would understand what it takes to actually be a technician at the top of his game. Yeah. Exactly. And and here's the thing. There's less than
0: what? I mean, we, Pete Meyer brought this up. He's like, you know, you, you go to these events and you see the same 1% everywhere you go. Right. Every training event the same Imagine 1%. Imagine that. Right? And then down on the other side, you've got the other 99%. And and I think we're making a dent. They're starting to to listen to podcasts like ours and the other podcasts. And they're starting to get training. And they're starting to find these Facebook groups and starting to improve. I guess my point, though, is, is that, like, hey, we've got to start training turning things around and start to charge what we're actually worth. Now, at some point there's a glass ceiling. I don't think we got to talk about it yet because
2: it's nowhere close to where we're at. I don't think we're ready to break it. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I would say to that technician that thinks he's underpaid is, um, you, you are the value that you bring to the company. Yeah. And, um, not the value that you are as a person. People get confused on the two. Yeah. Um, if you're not bringing the value to the company, then you're just not bringing the value
1: to the company. You don't have a value to right. the company. Or you haven't done a good job of articulating the value that you bring to the companies. That I think sometimes... Or probably, working
2: for the wrong person. Yeah, I was going to, yeah. yeah, sometimes
1: so, it's, it's not even that because you're right. Absolutely. There's a, a huge chunk where it's, that's the wrong person. They will never value somebody like correct. you or anybody that brings adequate value. They'll never value them properly. But I, I think sometimes it is a, there's a portion of it where the, the person is not doing a good job of showing that value in and in, in articulating it in a fashion that they can then quantify and say, yeah, you know what? You absolutely can't justify a $10 uh, an hour I, rate. I struggled with that in my career as a young
2: tech. Um, I was talented, but I didn't realize that what my value was. Yeah. Right. And, um, and I worked for somebody that was notoriously undervaluing the people that right. worked for and him. was gonna, if, if nobody said something it was going to take every
0: it, bit of what so, it could so
2: it was all stick no carrot young single father at the time right, right. so i'm like i can't lose my job um and then he th- actually threatened my job one day so then i was nervous right so i just started to look around and lo and behold I found that I had all kinds of value. So
3: <laughs>
2: going forward, I never had a problem articulating that after that to, right. to him or anybody else. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Lee, it's uh, been great, buddy. Same here. Really enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've had a good time. How can folks get in touch with you if they're interested in some uh, of the stuff we talked about?
2: Quickest, easiest way is to check us out on one of the websites, um, CEASUSA.com or sptoolsusa.com. Very cool. Thank you so download much. Download
0: the Sorry. app. Download the app. Yeah,
2: download, download the app. We had to refresh really it. good. Um, yeah, it is. And, uh, and we're on social media, all the platforms. Very cool. Sounds good. Sorry, thank, thank you, you guys. for being
1: here. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to ASOG.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time.